Hello, and thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene, where we exist to help people take their next step in a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope that as you listen, you are both encouraged and challenged as you take that next step in your walk with Christ. Well, good morning, church. Hey, if you didn't get a chance, go ahead and uh, take this opportunity to go grab a communion cup if you want. We'll be partaking in uh, communion at the end of service today. Uh, I, before I jump into the sermon, I just want to take a moment to say thank you. Uh, as many of you know, this is my, my last sermon here at NAPNAS. Next week will be my last Sunday, and I just wanted to say thank you uh, to so many of you. It's not easy or many pastors would say, it's not easy coming back to the church that you were raised in, where many people saw you running around uh, as a kindergartner, preschooler, uh, crying and everything else, and then welcoming, welcoming him back in as a pastor. And I have to say, this church has welcomed me as a pastor since the very beginning. And I am so incredibly appreciative of that. I have to explain my shirt that I'm wearing today, uh, if you can't see, it's, it's, it says the Sermonator. Um, <laughs> this was given to me when I was an intern here uh, four years ago. And when the news got out that I was leaving NAPNAS, that Emily and I were moving down to Lima, the, the family who gave me this shirt as an intern reached out to me and said, hey, uh, in order for us to help wrestle and accept the fact that you're leaving, we need to see you wear that in a public setting. Well, they had very low expectations for me. They thought maybe they'd get a selfie at Dairy Queen or something. Um, and I took it a step further and I decided I would, but I threw a jacket over it just to make it look a little bit nicer. Um, no, in all seriousness though, I cannot tell you how incredibly excited I am for NAPNAS, for this church. There are things that as a pastor I get to see and experience on a daily, weekly basis that many of you don't get to see. Yeah, some of those things are super low. And some of those things are super high. And over the course of my time here since being raised, we started coming here in 1996. And then I was an intern here in 2019. And now I'm here, and I was hired in 2021. I have seen the Lord do an incredible work in and through this church body and for this church body. And right now, and I, I preached a couple weeks ago about how I was in a low valley of life, a season of life where I had to just allow God to lead me even though I had no idea where I was going. And I can say with confidence now that I, as we, Emily and I, are leaving that mess. We are leaving not from a valley, but from a mountaintop. And it is a true blessing and gift of God when you can be on a mountaintop and look at everything that the Lord has done and see what he is doing and just catch glimpses of what he will continue to do. We have an amazing shepherding staff here at NAPNAS. And I don't just mean the pastors. I don't just mean myself or Ben or Dave or Brittany. I, I mean Sarah. I mean Janae. Because each and every Sunday we entrust these individuals to come and shepherd us, whether it's Sarah leading us and, and setting the groundwork for our spiritual worship to hear the word, or whether it's Janae. Let's be honest. We might call Janae a children's director, but she is as much pastor as any of the rest of us. Now, she hates it when I call her Pastor Janae. 
but we entrust the most vulnerable, those who can't think for themselves, we entrust them with her and her leadership and her shepherding. She may not be pastor, Sarah may not be pastor, but they are shepherds and overseers of this church body. And we have our pastors, Ben and Dave and Brittany, who wrestle in scripture and in prayer. Friends, I wish you could see what goes in, on inside these walls on a weekly basis. As we dive into scripture, as we wrestle together so that we can lead well. Friends, there is every reason to be excited. There's every reason to be excited to be a part of this church family. And if this is your first Sunday, I say welcome. If you're a visitor or a guest, I say welcome. Buckle up. It's going to be a ride. But I invite you back for everything that God continues to do in NAPNAS. Each and every one of us, as humans, Christians or not, we love underdog stories. We cling to them. We are inspired by them. Oftentimes, we like to resonate with underdog stories because we insert ourselves into them. When we hear about that Cinderella story, we like to think to ourselves, well, if they can do it, I can do it. We are pushed forward when we see someone rise up the ranks when, when they had no chance of winning or succeeding, they overcome every odd and every obstacle, and they succeed no less. Growing up, for every single one of us, I'm certain, we all know the story of David and Goliath. It is the, probably hailed the best underdog story ever to be told. You don't have to be a Christian. You don't have to be in church to know the story of David and Goliath. We have a small shepherd boy against a well-trained giant of a soldier. And this small shepherd boy, he comes out as victor, the victorious underdog we learn so often. And we like this story, the one small boy versus the one big giant. We love this story because it's easy for us to then insert ourselves and insert our struggles and obstacles and sources of pain into the story. Of course, we are David. And everything that we face on a moment-by-moment, daily, weekly basis, they become the giant that we are up against. We love underdog stories because they give us this, this sense of hope that we can conquer each day that we can win over anything that is thrown at us. You see, in our faith walks, whether as, as humans who aren't believers or even as believing Christians, we often hear stories of grand miracles, grand healings. We hear these stories about how someone walked through a particular season of life and they came out on top and it's this amazing thing and we're inspired by it. They make movies over it and we love it. And it just continues this, this pattern of like, yes, the underdog will come out. They will come out on top as the victorious underdog. We may have even experienced a story or two like that for ourselves. The only problem, though, the only problem with this underdog mindset or this, this idea that the underdog will always come out victorious is the fact that we aren't always victorious. The fact remains is that we, as humans and as Christians, we continue to walk through deep loss. 
Incredible seasons of defeat. Pain that seems never ending. And so even though we have this mindset that we are the underdog, we can be like David, we can conquer the giants, many of us, we often, we, well, we don't know how to reconcile the fact that there are Christians across the world dying of disease, dying of hunger, dying of cancer, dying of whatever fill in the blank. Maybe it's not even dying so much as it is. It is just a season that seems to be kicking us in the butt perpetually. Can I say that? I hope so. We walk through these, these days where it just seems like when we wake up in the morning, there is nothing that can motivate us to get out of bed. Day in and day out, it takes every ounce of our energy just to look at ourselves in the mirror. So the question we have to ask ourselves is how do we reconcile loss, defeat? How do we reconcile all of this if we are all supposed to be victorious underdogs like David? How do we reconcile loss and defeat, seasons of great turmoil and chaos, if we are all supposed to be like victorious underdogs, David? How do we reconcile that? Did we do something wrong? Do we not have enough faith? Are we doing something incorrect in our faith? Are we missing the formula somehow? Are we missing what needs to be happening? How do we reconcile loss and defeat if, all, if we're all supposed to be like victorious underdogs like David. Today we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 17. I apologize, it doesn't look like my slides are working today. But we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 17 starting in verse 45. And I think this question that we're attempting to answer, the answer to this question comes in three parts. The question of how we reconcile loss and defeat if we're supposed to be victorious underdogs like David. As we dive in to the story of David versus Goliath, I think we're going to see three different things. And I don't want to concentrate too heavily on what we often hear as children growing up. Not that that's not good, but I think there is, for the time that we have today, a most crucial part of this story. I don't want to concentrate on the fact that David walks in with stones in a sling, and that's how he takes down Goliath. I want to fast forward all of the way to verse 45, when he is face to face with the Philistine himself. Because I think that there's actually more to the story, more to the story of David versus Goliath than simply David being an underdog who took down the giant. I think there's more to the story, and if I'm right, I think it changes the game for how we apply this story to our lives. So if you'll join me in chapter 17, verse 45, we're going to read through verse 47. So as David is face to face with the Philistine himself, the enemy that's kept Israel paralyzed, this is what it says. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. 
This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. Now, I've given a sermon over David and Goliath a few different times through a few different seasons of my life. In fact, I just gave a version of this sermon a few weeks back to Wauseon Community Church. But each time I give this sermon, for whatever reason, it seems to evolve into something new. And today, as we dive into the story, just these few verses, I want us to first look at David's attitude particularly his confidence. If we jump back to the very beginning of verse 45, look what David has to say. You come to me with a sword and spear. He's recognizing, he's recognizing the giant in front of him. But even though Goliath has the sword and spear, David is certain of his victory. In fact, he says, you come to me with sword and spear, but I come to you I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel. So while he recognizes Goliath's armor, he recognizes Goliath's weapons, he makes no mention of his own. You see, in this circumstance, in this particular scene, David recognizes that it's not about anything he's bringing to the table. The battle isn't about his own strengths, his own giftings. He's not recognizing, hey, I got this rock I'm going to defeat you with. No, 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 no. It's one thing. He says, you come to me with everything that the world has to offer. I come to you with everything that's outside of this world, and that is the God of Israel. I come to you in the name of Yahweh. David is almost arrogant with how confident he is. This victory that David talks about, though, it's never about him. Yes, he says, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. But look what he says before that. The Lord will deliver you into my hands. The Lord will deliver. Look at this. He is talking about this victory as if it's already taken place. This is as good as done. This is as good as fact in the history books. The Lord, David is speaking with such objectivity. There is no fear. There is no doubt in David's proclamation. There is a complete and utter assurance of what will take place here. So there are two things I want us to notice. One, his confidence. One, his confidence, but two, his objectivity. It is a guaranteed, certain fact of what will about to happen, of what will about to occur. David's not questioning. David's like, man, I hope God delivers. He's not saying, man, I hope God does this for me. He's not saying, man, I hope that this is what takes place in my life. I'm doing this on behalf of God. I hope God comes through. No, 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 no. There's no question. There's no doubt. It is all 100% good as done. The victory is his and the Lord. Friends, I would like to challenge any of us. How many of us, in each of our daily circumstances, physical or mental, spiritual, emotional, 
Well, minus the spiritual. We can talk about that later. How many of us in our daily circumstances can go up to whatever we're facing and have complete and object certainty that we will overcome it? How many of us can honestly say that when cancer comes, that when financial insecurity comes, that when broken relationships Loved ones leaving because they want nothing to do with you. How many of us can actually say, hey, I'm going to conquer it. It's going to be good. It will come to an end. And in this life, I will overcome. How many of us? Friends, I would make the argument that even those of the strongest faith, you show me a faith giant and I will show you a person who cannot look in the face of cancer and say, I'm not going to die because of cancer. You show me a faith giant, and I will show you a person who recognizes that they know that they're not going to get through every single difficult season of life, and that sometimes at the end of our life, there are perpetual difficult things that did not get reconciled. And yet David is here looking at the giant before the giant falls and saying with object certainty as if it is fact itself, saying you will be delivered into my hands by the power of of God. Friends, the first thing that we have to reconcile, the first thing that we need to recognize is that in today's world, we don't have this object certainty. We don't see victory as a fact, at least not in our earthly physical circumstances. I mean, even Paul in 2 Corinthians, we are told that Paul, he is facing what he calls a thorn in his flesh. And he cries out to God, God, would you take this thorn away from me? I'm tired of dealing with it. And God says, nope. (laughs) Because in your weakness, my grace is sufficient for you. You see, we can cry out all we want. We can pretend that we have certainty. We can declare, no, the Lord is going to heal me. But the fact remains, none of us can walk away with this object certainty that David demonstrates in this moment. So when it comes to then answering the question, how do we reconcile loss and defeat if we're all supposed to be victorious underdogs like David? How do we reconcile this? Well, the first thing we have to reconcile and recognize is that the experience between David and Goliath is unique and should not be universally applied. David speaks with object certainty. It is fact that he is going to succeed in defeating this giant. We do not get this privilege. We do not have this in our life to where we can just say, I'm defeating cancer today. That broken relationship, today is the day that it gets restored. Today is the day that depression ends in my life forever. We don't get this privilege. And yet so often we want to take this story, David and Goliath, and then apply it to our lives. We insert ourselves in there, and here's what happens, friends. Our kids hear these stories, and we're saying, you can do anything you want. Anything you put your mind to, you are going to succeed. And then when they don't succeed, you know what they walk away feeling? What did I do wrong? Did I, did, I, did I miss my faith? Did I, did I miss the love of God? How? Friends, this story was not meant to be universally applied, at least not the victory. And we'll get to that later. 
This story was not meant to be universally applied. This story is taking us into something so much greater than defeating our own battles, our own giants. The first thing we must recognize is that this experience that David has with Goliath is unique and should not be universally applied. Now, I recognize that I may have uh, attempted to undo all of our um, childhoods here. I, I recognize that many of you may be upset with me in this moment. I, I gave a version of this sermon a few weeks back, and we get done, and my wife, Emily, looks at me, and she's like, I like it better when David's an underdog. <laughs> and we'll get to that. I want to address that here in just a little bit. So we move on then. We might be asking, okay, how does this help us? How does this knowledge, Justin, you just crushed my dreams, my childhood dreams. You're saying I can't be David, I shouldn't be David. No, not exactly. It's not exactly what I'm saying. I want to take this next portion of the sermon and, and help us. I want to go back to our Advent series. If you were around for our Advent series, we talked about how much of the Old Testament was like a signpost pointing to something greater, in this case, Jesus. And all throughout the Old Testament, we see characters and we see figures and, and godly men and women who, by their actions, pointed us to something that was going to be more fulfilling. That's when I made the heretical statement that Jesus was like Bucky's, for if any of you remember that. Um, and so today, though, I want to go back to that same philosophy, that same methodology, if you will, and I want to talk about how David is acting as a signpost that points us so much further and deeper than just defeating our giants. That he himself, this moment with Goliath, it is a major signpost. That when we hear this story, it shouldn't leave us gazing at our own issues, but it should leave us gazing at our heavenly creator, our heavenly father. So I want to look at these details, and had I been better for you all, I would have this on a slide, but I ask that you would track along with me. First and foremost, we look at the different signs. We can recognize, okay, David is the only individual in this moment. David is the only individual that has the certainty and the assurance that victory is going to come. He's the only individual. So just make note of that. He's the only individual with the certainty that victory will be had. Then on the flip side, Goliath is the ultimate enemy. In this moment, the Israelites and the Philistines are each on the opposite sides of a valley, resting on hills. Neither group wants to come into the valley because they know the low ground is where you will get defeated. And so each one of them await. But see, it wasn't the Philistines that were acting as the ultimate enemy. It was the one man, Goliath who would come out of the camp twice a day and just basically mock the Israelites and blaspheme the name of Yahweh, God. Goliath stood alone as the ultimate enemy, and David came out alone from his camp, the Israelites. Goliath was the one who kept the Israelites paralyzed in fear. Goliath was the one who kept God's people from moving forward. David, Goliath. David was not joined by his brothers. In fact, David was made fun of and mocked by his brothers, rebuked by them. David did not fight with the common tools of a soldier. He went out with that which was unexpected, a sling and a couple rocks that he had gathered. He had no armor, no sword, no spear. Now, we've learned this about David. We know this much. Let's talk for a moment then Jesus. 
Jesus, as he's approaching the cross, he is the only one with object certainty of the victory that is about to take place. He's the only one. No one else quite understands or knows what is going on. Jesus stands alone. And he's up against the ultimate enemy. You see, there's nothing greater in the history of the universe than the giant that he was facing, which is sin. Sin is the ultimate enemy. Sin alone is what, God, is what keeps God's creation from being in relationship with him. Much like how Goliath kept the Israelites paralyzed in fear, sin is what keeps us as God's creation paralyzed from interacting with him of our own accord. We are enchained. We are imprisoned by sin, preventing us from moving closer to God. And like David, who had no one around with him, none of Jesus' disciples joined him. Rather, they abandoned him at the last minute. And much like David, who did not use the tools of that day, Jesus did not save the Israelites in the way that was most expected. He did not defeat the Romans in the way that everyone thought was going to happen. In fact, he had no piece of armor. He was stripped to the bone, left with only maybe a garment left on him, maybe, and hung to a cross. And this is how he decided he was going to defeat the ultimate enemy in the most unexpected way. Again, like David with a sling and stone, the most unexpected way of saving the people. David was the most unexpected person to defeat giant, the giant Goliath, and he did so in an unexpected way. Jesus saves the unexpected world in the most unexpected way, by defeating the most unexpected giant, which is sin. Friends, we often forget that each of our circumstances, each of the things that we walk through on a moment-by-moment, day-by-day basis, that is not the giant in and of itself. It is a symptom of the giant. But sin stands alone as the ultimate enemy. And friends, when it comes to defeating the giant that is before us, we are left powerless. We cannot do it. And so when it comes to looking at the story of David and Goliath, the story of David and Goliath should not lead us to inserting ourselves into the story. The story of David and Goliath is what points us to Jesus' victory over our one true giant, which is sin. David's victory doesn't show us that we can defeat our own giant, our own battles, Rather, David's victory points us to Jesus' defeat of our true giant. Friends, the issue with this underdog mentality, that we can all be underdogs who defeat our giant, was the fact that David was no more an underdog against Goliath as Jesus was an underdog against sin. To say that you and I are underdogs in the battle of our lives would be going against what Scripture is doing in this moment. Scripture is pointing us to how we can then defeat and have success in our world. Scripture is telling us that the one true giant that stands in the way from us experiencing eternal life with God, that one true giant has been defeated. Now we have been given complete and utter access to our heavenly Father in heaven. And so with each and every struggle, with each and every source of pain, with each and every day of chaos, every low point that we hit in our lives, we don't stand as underdogs in a new battle. 
We stand as victors in Christ Jesus, knowing that the one true battle has already been won, and we have reason to rejoice. David's victory doesn't show us that we can defeat our own giants. Rather, David's victory points us to see Jesus' defeat of our one true giant. The story of David and Goliath was never meant to be universally applied. It was always meant to point us to something so much deeper. But friends, you might be thinking to yourselves, okay, this is, this is great. Um, every hope, every desire, everything that I thought the story of Scripture was pointing me to, well, that's been undone. Thanks a lot, Justin. Friends, what I want to do here right now is as we wrestle with the idea that we all walk through seasons of pain and that sometimes that pain simply does not leave. What do we take away from this piece of scripture? Yes, we recognize now that Jesus has won the true battle and we have reason to rejoice in that. But does that mean that our lives are just going to be hunky-dory from here on out? Everything's going to be roses and daisies and, and unicorns jumping through fields? Of course not. Friends, we know this. We recognize this. Just because we are victors in Christ doesn't mean that our lives are going to be perfect. No, as we face deep losses and great sources of pain, we recognize them in the same way that David recognized Goliath. And you say, Justin, you told me not to be like David. Hold on now. Yeah, we aren't meant to duplicate the victory. But we are still called to look at the story and to see how David goes up against Goliath. Because we have to remember, David throwing stones at the giant wasn't the most important part of the story. We love, we love to sit here. We love to dwell on the stones. It's amazing. It's an inspiring story. But David throwing stones was not the most important part of this story. Look what he says. David's walking through and he's saying, hey, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. The Lord's going to deliver you into my hands. And look at the reasoning. That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord Yahweh saves not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. His only desire, David's only desire, is that the name of God, Yahweh, is made known to the world. The only reason for this battle is to ensure that the name of God is made known to the surrounding world. The victory, David throwing stones at Goliath, means nothing if God isn't made known. And so today, friends, I want to remind us that us walking away with a miracle, us finding a solution or discovering a way to fight against whatever we're facing, whatever source of pain or source of chaos that is in our lives, us walking away with having that cleared, it being cleared, the miracle, the healing, whatever it might be, that is not the most important part of our story. Emily said that she didn't like this version of David and Goliath, that she would rather have David as the underdog. And of course, we all would. I would want that. 
I would love for this story to show that I can defeat everything that comes my way. You know how amazing it would be for me to get up here and tell you that tomorrow, every single piece of struggle, pain, and chaos in your life, it is yours to be defeated. Man, that would make a good sermon. But friends, this is not the case because you defeating whatever it might be, you finding that miracle, it is not the most important part of your story. Our lives are not about whether we walk away with miracles and victories and perfect lives, good days, all the time. Our story is not about whether we duplicate David's victory over his giant. Our story is about when we face disease, when we face pain, anger, and confusion, turmoil, and chaos, that at the end of our life, all the earth might know that there is a God who is greater than anything else we could ever face. And no matter what we face, God remains good and faithful. And so we may not duplicate. We aren't called to duplicate David's victory, but we are called to emulate his proclamation that all the world might know there is a God in our lives who transcends understanding, who goes beyond our circumstances, and that there is a God who saves not with perfect circumstances, not with a million dollars in the bank, not with only good days, but he saved already by his perfect life, his sacrificial death, and his victorious resurrection. And so that each and every battle we face today, it is not the one true giant. It is simply a symptom that we have to walk through to display and proclaim the glory of our God. And so even when death overcomes in this life, we don't stand as those who have lost, but as those who have the assurance of having gained everything through Christ alone. I'm going to ask the worship band to come up and prepare us for communion. Friends, I'm not saying that we always have smiles on our faces. I'm not saying that we always have to be those people who are laughing and those, those Christians that we think that we need to be, that everything's okay, I'm good, everything's fine, it's going to be fine. I'm not saying that we need to be these people. But even when the darkest and heaviest days come into our lives, we are left still on our knees proclaiming that even now there is nothing greater than making sure my God is made known. I have a friend and she's in the room today, and so I'm going to avoid looking at her. I have a friend whose dad is battling cancer. And it's painful. It's painful for her dad. And there's wrestling. And I've heard my friend talk about this wrestling as she, as she watches her mom take care of her dad, and as she watches her dad walk through this pain. You know what she does? You know what my friend does? And the way she talks about it, she says, yeah, I want healing. I want my dad to be comforted. I want healing and miracles to happen in his life. She recognizes the giant, the battle before her. Same way David does. He doesn't deny it. He doesn't deny that there is a big giant in front of him. And my friend, she recognizes that there is something in front that she hopes could be beaten. There's a battle in front of her parents, in front of her father, that she wishes could be delivered from, that she wishes there could be healing and a miracle. And how amazing would that be to then say, my dad is healed. 
But friends, you know my friend does not end? She doesn't end here. She doesn't end in recognizing the giant and that's it and hoping for a miracle. Because deep down she recognizes that this experience with David and Goliath, that is not to be universally applied. Because she recognizes that there is something greater happening. Here's how she ends when she's talking about her father battling cancer. She says, but even now, maybe, just maybe, God could use this in my father's life, in my parents' lives, in my family's life, God, that God could use this to let the rest of my family who's not believing to get to know him. Because we have a God who is so good, who is so powerful, who is so amazing, has never-ending, never-failing, unconditional love, so great that, that she recognizes there is something more important than a healing. Man, I would praise God. If that healing happened today, I would be the first up here and, yeah! But can you imagine that God can use the symptom of evil to bring about his goodness and his faithfulness to bring the world so that the world might know there is a God in my life who is greater than cancer. Even when cancer wins out on earth, because even in death, we stand assured that through Christ's death and resurrection, we gain everything. And we can know with certainty that every ounce of pain we experience will be redeemed for the glory of our God through whom we already have assured deliverance. Through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ alone, we live in this broken world, not as victims, not as underdogs, but as those who have the assurance and the certainty of being able to stand justified in the eyes of God, sanctified to be more like Christ, regenerated with a new life, and adopted into the family of our heavenly and eternal creator. It's from this knowledge then that we celebrate, not because. We celebrate not because we are victorious underdogs, but because we are sinners saved by grace with pains and struggles that are redeemed for the glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, drawing all men and women to his steadfast, never-ending, never-failing, unconditional love. And so this week, friends, before we take communion, My challenge to each and every one of us would simply be this. What in your life are you gazing at, thinking, I can conquer this. I can beat this. I can beat David against my Goliath. Rather than seeing God today, Whatever life throws at me, I will make sure that the world would know you are good. And so today, we, we, we take a different spin on communion. 
So often we come and we want to reflect and mourn because yes, it is our sin that drove Christ to the cross. We don't understate that. But today, today we celebrate. Because when we reflect and remember on the death, on the life, death, and resurrection of our Jesus Christ, yes, we mourn because we're the ones who put him there, but we celebrate because we know the battle has already been won and that we are invited into the greatest purpose we could ever have to declare the good news of God's justification God's regeneration, our sanctification and adoption into his family. And so friends today, I invite you to open up the bread. The bread that stands as a symbol of Jesus's body that he gave up for you and for me. This is the tool that he went up against sin. This is what he used to carry the weight of our sin. And this is what God used to reconcile us. And so this morning, I invite you, take and eat and remember. same way Christ not only shed his broken body for us or gave his broken body for us he shed his blood that in this moment as he shed his blood there would be introduced a new covenant by which you and I then gain access to our heavenly father unconditionally that we would simply rest in the embrace of his love and be welcomed into his family. So friends, I invite you, take and drink and remember. And before we pray, I would invite you to stand. We're going to sing one last song. And after this song, I'll come back and I'll pray and we'll have our time of closing. But friends, in this time, would you allow the words of this song and the story that we just learned to point you to where the true victory is? Let's worship this morning.
purpose of proclaiming to the world there is a God in my life who is greater than anything I could ever face and so that even when death is at our doorstep we still proclaim God is good and all the time you are dismissed Thanks for listening to this week's message from the Napoleon Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 9 or 10.30 a.m. for weekly worship and community with other believers. For more information about upcoming events or ways you can connect, find us on Facebook or visit us at napnaz.org. Have a great week.